Let's go back to the book of Matthew chapter 13, and I'll just do a, a brief uh, recap, if I can, just about what we dealt with last night, because last night's service, this morning's service, and tonight, uh, it's, it's all layer upon layer, and these things really feed into each other. So Matthew chapter 13 is where we began, and we started in verse 1. Let's just read it quickly again. It says, on the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. Can I just tell you how much that verse encourages me? On a number of levels. Jesus went out of that, well, first of all, it says it's on the same day. You ever stop to think, I wonder what day is the same day that it was talking about? Go, go back and look sometime in, at what, what was going on that day. It wasn't exactly a good day. This was uh, the day that, that Jesus was preaching in the house, and his family came and stood outside and said, tell him to come out here. We want to see him. This guy has lost it. Critical of his message, critical of who he said he was. And that kind of pressure he was being faced with that day. And he said, these are my mother. This, these are my brothers. These are my sisters. This is my mother. These who do the will of God. On that same day, he went out of the house and sat by the sea. What do you want to do when it's been a tough day? Get alone? Get quiet, right? Same as Jesus. Same as Jesus. The other thing that encourages me so much about it is that's a nice piece of real estate. To just walk out of the house and sit by the sea, that's a nice piece of property, is it not? I, th I think I'd like to have a piece of property like that. If, you, if some of you believe in God for a vacation, there's your scripture to stand on right there. You think I'm kidding. I am not kidding. All this that we talked about a moment ago regarding rest, that is one of the biggest deals. That is one of the biggest things in Sarah and I's life. That, that, that subject, if you will, of rest... I've, I don't know that I've ever found something that so transcends every boundary, both spirit, soul, and body. There is a rest spiritually that must take place. Faith is a rest. Well, I thought faith was a fight. It is. There are times where you must fight to stay at rest. I will not get out of my seat. I will not get up and go try to chase down my answer. I will not get up just because I'm not feeling good. I will not leave this place of rest. And Satan, you can't talk me out of it. It's mine. What are you doing? You are fighting to just stay at rest. That's the fight of faith. That's the rest of faith. So there's this rest that takes place in your spirit, but the rest in your soul. Jesus said, therefore, do not worry. Remember that? Matthew chapter 6. We'll probably get into some of that tonight. But do not Oftentimes in Scripture, if you look it up, it's better translated this, stop. That's good. Do not, in, in Greek, when you look that up, you find that it is one of the strongest prohibitive statements that could be voiced in that language. Stop it. It's going on and I want it stopped. What did he say? Do not worry. What did he, what did he really say? Stop worrying. Stop worrying about what you're going to eat. Stop worrying about what you're going to drink. Stop worrying about what you're going to wear. He said, all these things the Gentiles seek. In other words, there's supposed to be a difference. Supposed to be. That's Texas for supposed. Sub, supposed. It, I don't know. I like to take out syllables. They're just useless. They're supposed to be. Supposed to be. There's supposed to be a difference between you who know Jesus and those who don't. There is supposed to be a difference. Amen? Amen? Say there's supposed to be. Supposed to be. There you go. But that worry, that, that platform 
of fear, when you build your life on a platform of fear, it yields an expectation of worry. Just the same, I'm getting way too ahead of myself here, but just the same that faith, the same way faith, a life built on the platform of faith, yields an expectation of hope. Because of my faith in Jesus, I expect, that's what hope is, an expectation, I expect good. A platform, a life built on the platform of fear has an expectation, but it's worry. It's the expectation that this is not going to turn out the way I need it to. And Jesus said, stop it. Stop it. Rest in your soul. Stop worrying. Get in faith. Seek the kingdom of God. He said all these things would be added to you. you sometimes you think about it like this. Well, if I just seek the kingdom, then God will, God will say, hey, good job. Here's what you need. Think about it like this. If you're seeking the kingdom... When you find what you're seeking for, everything's there. Everything that you were, you were worrying about to get, the, the food, the clothes, the, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, all of it's in the kingdom. It's all in the kingdom, so seek the kingdom. And when you find the kingdom, you find every need met. Rest. Yeah. You see that? Rest in your spirit, rest in your soul, but rest in your body. Your body needs rest. Yeah. God was so serious about rest. You remember uh, the, the first week, Genesis chapter 1? Remember that? He, he created Day by day, he created things, and he said it was good. He saw what he made, and he saw that it was good. It was good. It was good. said that for six days in a row. It's good. It's good. It's good. God saw his works, that they were good. But when he got to day 7, what does it say he did? He rested, and he, it says he's, in Genesis chapter 2, he sanctified that day and called it holy. Days 1 through 6, those were good. Day 7, holy. That's the only day he called holy, the day he rested. Folks, you and I are living in that seventh day. We're living in the day of grace. We're living in the day of rest when all the good works have been accomplished. They've all been done, and we're living in that rest. But he was so serious about the rest of your body because of what it represented. And Sarah and I have gone before the Lord, even where our vacation is concerned. Get him involved in your vacation. Amen. Why? Because he'll pay for it. <laughs> I am serious about that. God is not unjust. God is not unfair. If he commissions you to do something, he pays for you to do it. Yeah. It would not be right for your pastors to put pressure on themselves for themselves to finance this church, to finance this work. Did God call you to do this? Then he'll pay for it. He will supply for it. So what Sarah and I did was, Lord, we want to go away and get some rest. This was our first anniversary. Where do you want us to go? Now, you may not believe me, but I don't care. He said Hawaii. <laughs> Who am I to argue? So we said, okay, we believe it's your will for us to, to go and get some rest in Hawaii. First anniversary, one to do it big. You never get a first one again, do you? And uh, she and I said, okay, well, we want to do that. We'll, we'll go. And this was several months before we were going to go. And over the course of time, got notifications from the IRS. And it was like, uh, you know, this mistake was made on your taxes last year. You didn't actually owe anything. So here's the 4000 that you paid. Here's that back. And here's the 3000 that we actually owed you. Wow. 
Oh, and also, here's the 1,200 that were just given out to everybody this year. Remember that a couple years ago? So in a matter of, of weeks, there was something like seven or eight, $9,000 that came from the U.S. government, baby. That's nice. <laughs> that just feels good, doesn't it? You know? That was great. Friends called. Have you bought your tickets to Hawaii? No, haven't, haven't bought them yet. Good, because we want to. We're going to buy your tickets, your airplane tickets. Okay. <laughs> he paid for the whole thing. He paid for every, every dollar of it. And we had picked out a room online, supposed to be the nicest tower, nicest room we got there. It's okay, you know. It wasn't as big as the pictures made it look. Um, the picture also didn't say anything about the jackhammering that would be going on on the balcony below ours. <laughs> and uh, it was loud. Our floor was shaking. This, we walked right in there. We said, Lord, we're content. We're happy. We're in Hawaii, so if this is where you want us, we're happy. But we believe you sent us here. So if there's another way, then we just trust you. Called downstairs and was polite. Write that down. Polite. And said, um, can you tell us how long the construction will be going on? They're like, uh, yeah, all this week from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. <laughs> is there another room by any chance? And so we, we took, took us to another room. Exact same room, just a couple levels higher. The only difference was we couldn't feel the shaking. You could still hear it. I said, well, you know, it's better. And the guy said, wait just a second. Got, got a call a little later. Took us downstairs, walked across the property into another tower, up to the 27th floor, to the biggest room you've ever seen. Two full bathrooms, two balconies, looking at the harbor, looking at the ocean for the exact same price that we paid in the other one. And it was, I think it was probably $300 more a night. Wow. He'll pay for your trip. Yeah. He will pay for your rest. I didn't mean to say all that, but Jesus went out and sat by the sea. That's exactly what Sarah and I did. Took the elevator down, walked a few steps, and sat by the sea. There you go. That's what I was looking for. I'm serious. That's what I was waiting on, somebody to receive that. Anybody else? Any takers? Okay. All right. Spent 10 minutes on verse 1. Verse 2, great multitudes were gathered to him so that he got into a boat and sat and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables saying, behold, look at this. I'm going to show you something. Jesus sees something that you don't see yet. And that is possible, isn't it? That perhaps, maybe, by chance, Jesus sees some stuff that you and I haven't seen yet. Behold, look, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside. The birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth. They immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, everybody out that out there that day heard it, but very few heard it. They all heard it, but they didn't hear it. You see what I'm saying? And Jesus goes on to talk about that. We won't get into it again, but I, let me encourage you to, to, to get a hold of these messages, whether you get a CD or download it online. It, when your pastors make it available to you for free, then there's no excuse. You've got to get a hold of it. You've got to get a hold of it and let it do what it can do. Uh, Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is the same parable that's relayed in Luke chapter 8, Mark chapter 4. You find in there he said things like this. He said, um, take heed how you hear. Pay attention to how you pay attention 
is what he's saying. Anybody have any, any young kids that might be into video games or something like that? Or just, just sitting there watching TV and you come give an instruction? And they think that if they just turn their head, <laughs> keeping their eyes on the screen, like you're over here, but they're like this. They think that you think you're, that they're paying attention, but you know they're not, right? And maybe they could repeat back to you what you said, but did it get in? No, no. When we would sit in class and cut up and laugh and the teacher would be like, excuse me, Jeremy, what did I just say? And repeat back to the teacher exactly what she just said because teenagers have this really sickening ability to <laughs> multitask and, and pay no attention at all but hear the words. But here I am today, uh, you know, a few years later with no idea what she said. <laughs> Why? It didn't get in. It didn't get in. You know, you, you might hear it, but did you hear it? No. Uh-uh. You can hear it, but do you know how to apply it? That's what's going on with a lot of people hearing the Word of God. Yeah, I heard that message. Yeah, but are you doing the message that you heard? Don't be a forgetful hearer of the Word, but be a doer. Yes. Amen? Amen? Now, if you're going to hear something, hear the Word, but then do the Word that you hear. Yes. Because when you hear it, what comes with it is the ability to do it. God, again, is not unjust. He's not unfair. If he gives a command, it, along with that command is, okay, now here's how. Uh -huh. Amen? That's grace. That's grace, isn't it? Okay. So all these things Jesus said. And, and again, uh, one of the things that we brought out here is that every time you see this word, some seed, what that really means is some of the same kind of seed. So whatever seed got, stone, got sown on the wayside, that same seed got sown on the ground where there was it was stony ground, it got sown among thorns, and it also got sown on good ground. It was all the same kind of seed. Now, if you had stopped after the first three kinds of ground and you didn't really know what to look for, you might think that there was something wrong with the seed. Why? Nothing's happened yet. No produce, no, no results, no production of any kind. And you might think something's wrong with this seed. But the moment it got sown on the fourth ground, the good ground, and it yielded a crop, some 30-fold, some 60, some 100, the moment it produced, you know, okay, nothing wrong with the seed. The seed works. Yes. So right then and there, it should be an indicator to start looking to see what the, what the problem was. And Jesus goes on from there to talk about the uh, having eyes, they don't see, they don't perceive, they, they have ears, but they don't hear, they don't understand. And, and I won't get back into that for the sake of time, but the whole thing, this whole parable, the first parable Jesus ever told, when his disciples asked him to explain it, he said, if you don't get this one, how are you going to get any of them? These are keys here. This is keys that are, keys that are unlocking truth and revelation. And this whole parable is about revelation, the light of revelation knowledge, and not just, not just any revelation, a revelation of who Jesus is, because he said to them, blessed are your eyes, for you see, your ears, for you hear. He said, righteous men and women of old wanted to see and hear what you see and hear, but they didn't, but you do. What's he talking about? You see me. And not just seeing a man standing in a boat preaching, seeing Jesus for who he is. That's what this whole thing's about. The, the, the cover being ripped off, the veil being removed, and seeing Jesus for who he is. Yes. And he, gets, he goes right from there. Now, let's pick up in verse 18. He says, therefore, hear the parable of the sower. I thought they all just heard the parable. No, they heard it, but they didn't hear it. 
They saw him, but they didn't see him, right? Here, the parable of the sower, and this is what we covered last night, verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, say, understand it. Then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. Without getting into everything again, this word understanding means to grasp the meaning, the nature, and the value of something. If you have an understanding of how an engine, a motor in a car works, then you understand the meaning of it. You understand the nature of it, where these, where these things came from, what they're all about, what every part does. If I were to try, if my truck broke down and I were to go pop the hood, I'm, I might stand there looking like I know something, you know, you kind of pull your pants up a little bit, stand on, move all your weight over to one side. This is how we do it in Texas. You move all your weight over to one side and you kind of stand there a little bit. Look at it and you think, yeah, okay, yeah, that washer fluid looks good. That would be me standing there with no idea why my truck doesn't work, and here I am checking the washer fluid or something. Why? I have no grasp of the meaning, the nature, or the value of it. I'm checking something that's meaningless. Meanwhile, over here, the, the part that's valuable in the situation, that's what I should be looking at, but without an understanding, I'm lost right? Well, the same thing's true about the word. He says the word got preached. This is he who heard the word when he didn't understand it, when he didn't grasp the meaning of it. It's not okay just to read the word and say, what did that mean? I don't know. I don't care. What's for breakfast? What's for lunch? That's not okay. If you read something that you don't understand, say, Lord, talk to me about this. And you may get an answer right then. You may get one a decade later, but he'll talk to you about it. Has that ever happened before? I've been looking at something for 10 years and just wondering about it, and finally I got some light on it. Well, God's good. That must have been the time you needed to hear it. He'll do that for you. But, but be hungry to grasp the meaning of it. And that requires faith. That requires faith. That requires you not opening the Word and reading a chapter and closing it all discouraged. You know, I don't get that. How could anybody understand this? Listen to me, folks. You are not dumb. You are not dull. You are not dense. You have an unction and an anointing from the Holy One, the Bible says, and you know all things. You have the mind of Christ, and you need to be saying that. If you read something, you hear something you don't understand, or even into a situation, even into a difficult situation where people are confused. Where was God in this? People ask that kind of stuff all the time. God, where were you in this? Ask it, but don't ask in doubt. Ask in faith. God, I want to know. I want to see, and in your time, I want you to reveal it to me, whether on this side of eternity on the, or on the other. I'm hungry to know, because I want to know your character. I want to know your motive. I want to know the nature of, of who you are. I want to have a grasp, an understanding of who you are. Be hungry for that, but it requires faith. You can't be discouraged over what you don't know. Rejoice in what you do know. Paul wrote to Timothy and said, I know in whom I have believed. I may not know everything about him, but I know him. I may not know every little thing yet, but I know him. I know his character. Amen? That's to grasp the meaning, grasp the nature. We said this last night, but, but does it matter if, you, if somebody calls you and says, hey, I've got a gift for you, does it matter to you who said it? It should. Because if you understand who said it, that'll give you some indicator of what kind of gift it is. 
If you've got somebody that constantly just gives you junk and they call and say, I got something for you. Okay, great. Mail it <laughs> to somebody else. <laughs> but if you've got a rich relative or you've got somebody that you know is very well off and they're very generous givers and they call and say, hey, I got something for you. What do you do? You jump in the car, you slam on the gas, you are there in seconds flat. Why? Because you know the giver. I don't know what he's given, I don't know what she's got for me, but I bet it's good because you know the giver. James chapter 1, we looked at this last night, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. That's what it is to grasp the nature of God. The verse before it says, do not be deceived. Don't be confused about where good things come from and where bad things come from. Draw the line in your life forever. If it's good, it's from God. If it's bad, it's not. And don't be confused about it any longer. As, the, as a body at large, we are way too confused. When you got half the body saying, you know, God judged this part of the country with a hurricane. And then you got the other half of the body saying, God's not the destroyer. He's the giver of life, not the taker of life. But you got a, a situation like that and both sides giving credit to God for destroying and one for saving life. Folks, we're confused. If we can't tell the difference between God and the devil, we're confused. I would understand if it, if it were two entities that shared a lot of similarities, came from the same place, did a lot of the same things, said a lot of the same things. But this is God, Jesus, and Satan, yeah. the devil. They don't look alike. They don't act alike. They don't sound alike. But when we have them, we can't tell the difference between them. We're confused. When you know the nature of the giver, then you know the quality of the gift. Amen. This is what it means to grasp and have an understanding. And then finally, to, to have an understanding is to grasp the meaning, the nature, and the value. And this is really what we spend our time on, to, the, to value the word that was preached. Give it the place of honor that it deserves. You've got symptoms or situations in your life that require an answer, and somebody comes to you with an open Bible and points to a scripture that the Lord spoke to them for you because you were so distracted by what you were going through that you couldn't hear it, but he loves you so much that he spoke to somebody else for you, and they come and say, look what the Lord said, and you say, I've heard that before, but, or yeah, I know that, but. If you say, I know that, but, then you don't know that. Yeah, that's right. that's right. There's a difference between what you've heard and what you know. If it, as long as the Word of God just remains something that you've heard, it can still be taken away from you. But when you know it, when you have wrapped your hands around it, and you say, this thing is mine. Even while the situation and the circumstance remains the same, you grab a hold of the Word of God and you begin to see yourself changed through the Word. Now you've gotten a hold of the value of it. And Jesus said, where you don't value it, Satan comes immediately and snatches away the Word that was sown. Takes away the Word that was sown. That word take away in the Greek means to take away something that belonged to somebody else. Or something that was committed to him. And when the word is preached, hey, the word's being preached to you today. And as far as God is concerned, what's being preached to you today is yours. It belongs to you. You have a rightful place to take ownership of it. But if you don't value it, what happens to things that are valuable but aren't treated, valuable, uh, treated as valuable? Things that are valuable that aren't protected, what happens? They get stolen. What happens when you leave really nice stuff in your front yard overnight? It may not be there in the morning because you didn't protect it. 
is valuable. Jesus says the word is valuable. It's your answer. It's your way out. It's your way up. It's your way over. It is what you need. Grab a hold of it as such. That's when it can produce in your life. The interesting thing here is that the word of God, Jesus said the sower sows the word. That was the seed that got sown on all those grounds. And everything that we know is in the word. Why couldn't it produce? We know the, the, the word has ability to change our lives. We know it has ability to save us, to heal us, to deliver us. And it, it, all of it is in that seed. Why wasn't it working? How come it only worked one out of four times? Do you think God is satisfied with those statistics? With that percentage? You think God is saying, well, at least we got one. You think he's happy that 75% of his kids are not receiving what's capable and what's already been given to them? Do you think he's going, well, we got 25%, so, you know, high five Jesus? No, I don't think that's what he's doing at all. His desire is to see all of us walking in everything the Word has to offer. But we're going to have to value it. Amen? That was the world's longest recap. Okay. Here's what I want to do. Let's go on now and, and keep discovering, keep seeing why the Word, what's keeping the Word from working in our lives? What's keeping us from receiving God's best? That's what this study is all about. And not just looking at what's keeping us from it, also looking at how to fix it. Amen? So here we go. This is, this is today, part two. All right, verse 20. He who received seed, received the seed or received the Word on stony places... Stony places. The image that creates is a bunch of rocks sitting out on top of the ground. But you do a little bit of study on this, and you find that that's not really what it was at all. There, there weren't a bunch of rocks sitting, up, sitting out on top. There was earth and dirt there, but it was very shallow earth, and there was a, that layer of rock was just beneath the surface. Couldn't see it but it was just beneath the surface. So he's saying seed got sown on that kind of stony ground. This is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. This is he who receives the word or hears the word and immediately, say immediately. What does that mean? Right away. Right away received it with joy. Now that's good. That's a good thing. Now can you see how we've progressed there was the, the prior example was somebody who heard the word and didn't value it at all, didn't see in it the potential to change their life. But this guy heard the word and immediately received it with joy. Yeah. Sat there in that service and said, Yeehaw, that's it. Amen, amen, amen. That's the word. Good preaching, brother. I love it. That's good. Why? Seeing the potential value that is inside the word being preached, the word being sown, they see their situation, they see their sickness, and the pastor preaches on healing, and they say, whoa, there's my answer. Received it with joy. But check this out. What happened? This is he who immediately received it with joy, verse 21, yet he has no root in himself, but in endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, Mark 4 says, when persecution comes for the word's sake, this is what Satan is after, for the sake of the word, to rob you of the word. When persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. 
So what happened? Heard the word, got excited about it, but didn't have a root, so he only endured for a little while. And as soon as persecution and tribulation came, this is important, this will be important to us in a few minutes, but persecution came and tribulation came for the word's sake, and immediately he stumbled. Let's find out what the problem is here. Go with me, hold your place in Matthew 13, we'll come back, but let's look at Hebrews chapter 10 quickly. Hebrews chapter 10. Say, I love the Word of God. God. Hebrews chapter 10, I want to show you this in verse 32. Notice what it says here. He's writing to these individuals and he says, But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated. You know, it'd be good for you every now and then to think back. Think back on what happened. The word he uses here is the the instant, the moment you were illuminated. That's exactly what we're talking about. What does illuminated mean? It means the light came on, right? The moment the light came on. We've talked all about revelation. That's what revelation is. Revelation is light. Revelation is light. What does light do? Does light... Does light create or does light reveal? Light reveals. Light reveals. When you go into the attic and it's dark and you're looking for something, you're looking for a box of old clothes or a box of old memories or whatever it is, you turn the light on. Did the light create the box you were looking for or did it just show you where it was? It just showed you where it was. It revealed it to you. That's what light does. Light shows you what was there all along. Did you catch that? Light shows you what was there all along. And when the light of revelation comes on on the inside of you, uh, 2 Corinthians 4 says, the same God who caused the light to shine out of darkness. Remember that verse? What's he talking about? Genesis 1, light be, and light was. God did that. God did that. And the same God who caused the light to shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts and has given us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And he goes on, he says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. You're the earthen vessel. That's you. But you're not alone in here. <laughs> you ever looked at somebody that just seemed a little off and you think, that, that guy's not alone in here. He's got some visitors. <laughs> well... You're a little off (laughs) where this world is concerned, where natural ways of thinking are concerned. Why? Because you're not alone in there. God, who caused the light to shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's in you. That is in you right now. But you'll never see it till the light comes on. And that's what the Holy Ghost is. He's the revealer. He flips that switch. And he says, recall those days. Think back on those days when the light came on. How excited you were. How excited you were about the word. How excited you were about Jesus. And when you saw things in the word and and you just, you wanted somebody else to hear it and you're like, here, here, listen to this or here, read this. What happens? And they look at it and they're like, okay, yeah, I've heard that. What's the difference? You're walking in the light of it. They're still in the dark. And we use those words, don't we? When, when something makes sense to you, what do you see? Or what do you say? I see that. 
Or when something is, is still unclear, what do you say? Ah, I'm in the dark on that one, right? These are words that we use. Remember those days. Think back on those days when you were first illuminated, when the light came on. You endured. Say endured. What did Jesus say the problem was? They had joy immediately, but because they had no root, they endured only for a while. He's saying you endured. You went through a great struggle with sufferings. Partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations. Jesus said in Matthew 13 that tribulation comes for the word's sake. And even though they received it with joy immediately, they didn't have a root, which we'll get into. But because of no root, they endured for a little while. That, that layer of rock just below the surface did not let the roots go deep. And because of that, they endured only for a little while. And he's saying, you had, you had these tribulations. You endured partly because they came on you, partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. So either you were being persecuted or your friend was. And you were so close because you both had had the same light of the knowledge of the glory of God that it felt like what was happening to them was happening to you. You ever been close to somebody like that? That you have felt that pain that they're going through? That's what he's saying here. Verse 34, you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully, joyfully. How did they receive the word immediately? With what? With joy. He said, joyfully, you accepted the plundering of your goods. That's weird, isn't it? Is joy the natural response when your goods have been plundered? When you've been robbed blind, when people have taken everything that was precious to you, everything that was valuable to you, you've been robbed. And Paul said, or the writer here said that you endured that joyfully. That's weird. You endure and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing, ah, okay, okay, here's where we get into it. How on earth do you go through junk like that with joy? You know something. You know something. Knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven, verse 35. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward for you, have need, look at verse 36, you have need of endurance. They received the word with joy, but because they had no root, they endured only for a little while. You have need of, say that word with me, endurance. Endurance. Folks, if the Bible says you need endurance, guess what you need? Endurance. Does this apply to you and me? Yes, it does. We have need of endurance. He is talking to people who are going through horrific situations. And he says, look, go back to when you first saw, when the light first came on. And the joy that you had then, don't throw that away. 
You knew something then. You knew that something was coming. You knew that you had a, a, a more enduring possession. You knew that these things that were robbed from you, and even though they may have been nice, they weren't as nice as it gets because you had that in Jesus. You knew that. Don't throw that away. You and I have need of endurance. This right here, should this verse should be in probably somewhere between 90 and 100% of counseling sessions. People who want an answer, people who want a way out, people who want their problems fixed now, it probably needs to start with this. You have need of endurance. You have need of endurance. Look at James chapter 1, just a couple of pages over. James chapter 1, verse 2. I'll begin reading. My brethren, count it all what? Look at this. Count it all what? Joy. Are we starting to see a connection here? Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Again, very weird. This word various, if you look it up, it just, it won't get into all of it, but it basically means random. It means uncertain derivation. Don't know where it came from. You ever had one of those days? Not when just a few things go wrong, when everything goes wrong and you have no idea why. You feel as though Satan has called a staff meeting and your name is on his agenda. And it feels that way. It feels like everything that could go wrong has gone wrong. And it's, and it's falling apart around you. As a matter of fact, you fell into it. And it's not just falling into trials. If you look this up, it means falling into trials that surround you on every side. How does he want you to go through this? With joy. Really? Yeah, really. Count it. Consider it. Think about it. Renew your mind. Change the way you think. That word renew means renovate. Renovate your mind here. Change the way you think about this. Count it. Consider it all joy. How on earth am I going to have joy going through that? Well, verse 3. What's it say? Huh? What does it say? Knowing. Knowing. Where does our joy come from? It comes from what we know. It comes from what we know, what we expect is coming. Hope is an expectation. Not hope in the way we use it. Oh, I hope so. That's not hope at all. Hope is an earnest, red-hot, vibrant expectation with an outstretched neck. That's what it means. Knowing something good is coming. It's on its way. Why? Because I know the giver. I know his character. I know what he does. And because I know the giver, then I know the gift. And there's a good gift coming. That's how you get through trial. That's how you endure. Jesus said the word's not working for you because you only endured for a little while. You heard the word on healing. You heard the word on prosperity. You heard the word on deliverance. You heard the word on salvation. And because it didn't happen right away, even though you received it with joy, if there's no root, you won't endure. Here's how you endure. Know that it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Not only is it coming to me, it's pulling me towards it. Now that, oh, you get into something else right there. You get into a whole other thing right there. Not just plodding through life. And, and really, really hoping to see something new soon. No, you know that I am being drawn towards my good outcome. Amen? Amen. Preached this the other day to the 
Kenneth Copeland ministry staff, and we sat with my family afterwards at lunch, and my, my mom said this. It was such a great example. She said, that's why it's called a calling. What God has on your life, that's why it's a calling. Because it's calling you. It's reaching out to you and pulling you towards it. Have you ever felt that way before? That's the way Sarah and I felt like launching this ministry that we're in. Pearson's Ministries International is all of two months old. And this is exactly how we felt, that this thing was pulling us towards it. And we weren't just standing still, we were cooperating with it. Knowing that something's coming. What do we know that's coming as a result of these kinds of trials? We know that the testing of our faith produces patience. Do you know how other translations translate that word? Patience? Endurance. The testing of your faith. Not God testing your faith, okay? That's, that's not what this is about. As a matter of fact, if you look a few verses later, and it says, let no man say when he is tempted that he's tempted of God, it's the exact same word. Temptation is the exact same word as trial. So don't, don't get into this mindset of God's doing this to me. But your faith is being tested. He doesn't, God doesn't have to test you in the sense of, I really want to see if you've got it. He knows, okay? He knows. There's no question mark with him. He knows. Satan wants to know. He may not know. And he wants to know. And he wants to disprove over and over and over your faith in Jesus. But what is that for you and I? An opportunity, nothing more than an opportunity for God to demonstrate himself on our behalf. Amen? We know that there's something coming. What's coming? Let patience, let endurance have its perfect work. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Can you get into just a little bit of joy if you were to close your eyes and imagine yourself not surrounded by trials, not beat down, beat up, and beat every way, but you see yourself perfect, complete, lacking nothing. That's the image you should be meditating on. That inward image of God in you, Jesus in you. I am born again in His perfection. Not born into my uh, shortcomings. I'm born into His perfection. And this thing I'm going through is nothing more than an opportunity. Though it wants me to quit, I refuse to quit. I refuse to quit. Say it. I refuse to quit. I refuse to quit. You are not anointed to quit. There is no quitting anointing. There is no gift of quitting. You don't get to get together with your, your, the other members of your church and everybody talk about, what are you anointed to do and what are you gifted to do? I'm a musician and I'm, an, I'm a singer and I'm an artist and I'm a speaker. Or, what do you do, sir? I'm a quitter. I, I start stuff and, and I get real excited about it in the beginning and then I quit it when it gets kind of tough. So God's really blessed me with that ability. No, he has not. No, he has not. That's not from him and that's not of him. As a matter of fact, 2 Corinthians 4, that same chapter where I, where I quoted a moment ago, God who causes the light to shine. A few verses later, Paul writes and says, Therefore, we do not lose heart. We don't quit. We don't quit. Even though the outward man is perishing, the inward man is being renewed day by day. So people who all they can see is the outward man perishing, that's discouraging. What's that make you want to do? Quit. If I'm going to die anyway, why not now? If I'm going to lose it all anyway, might as well go out in a bang. 
Why? Because all they can see is the outward man perishing. But what's keeping us from quitting? We're not looking at that. We're looking at the inward man, the invisible things that are being renewed day by day. David said in the book of Psalms, Book of Psalms, chapter 27, verse 13. He said, I would have fainted. New King James says, I would have lost heart. What did Paul say? We don't lose heart. David said, I would have lost heart. Unless I had believed that I would, what? See. see. That you'd see something. That the light would come on. Are you getting this? Are you getting the way this connects? Unless that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Where is the land of the living? Here. When is the land of the living? Now. And he said, I would have quit. I would have given up. I would have thrown my hands up in exhaustion. I would have given up everything. Unless, here's what kept me going. When you've got that kind of attitude, I would have lost heart. You know something's not going your way. As a matter of fact, various trials might be a good description. Something that makes you want to quit. And that very well may have been what was going on in his life. And he said, I would have quit unless. In other words, this is what sustained me. This is what kept me going. Not only did it just keep me plodding through, it kept me going with the ability to stand up straight, the ability to walk tall. That's what endure means. It doesn't just mean, oh, I made it by the skin of my teeth. I'm, I feel dead even though I'm not. Endure, endurance Somebody who's got endurance, they finish strong when others are weak. I think about Sarah's mom, who's in the building somewhere, watching our little guy. She has run two marathons, I think, and a couple of half marathons. Uh, She's got some endurance. She's got more endurance at her age than I do at mine. (laughs) And if she and I were to start running at the same time, just run a mile. Just run a mile. How many of you know I could finish a mile, but I would finish in different shape than she did, than she would? She might finish a mile and say, all right, let's keep going. I might finish a mile and say, uh, hold on on a second. Uh, I'm going to lose heart. (laughs) You know, that's how, why? No endurance. Or not as much endurance. The endurance is the ability to keep going and keep going and keep going, right? And he said, you have need of that. Yeah. Don't throw away your confidence. You have, you have need to keep going and keep going and keep going. Why? Because that's when the Word can work in your life. Why hasn't it been producing what, what you heard it could produce? Because you gave up on it. Because you quit believing to see. David didn't say, I would have lost heart unless I had seen He said, I would have lost heart unless I had believed to see. What was keeping him going? Believing to see what he saw on the inside. Even though it didn't look like it on the outside, it was drawing him towards it all along. Amen? Now, let me begin to wrap this up by saying this. Back to Matthew chapter 13. Look at that with me. There's a lot more there. And if we had... You know, a couple of more days we could get into it. But, but uh, go back to Matthew chapter 13 and, and let's begin to wrap this up. Jesus said, again in verse 20, He who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately, or at the beginning of it, receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a little while. So our endurance that we need is connected to our root. 
If there's no root, there'll be no endurance. If there's no endurance, you won't see the promise. The Word won't work. The Word can't produce what it's capable of producing if there's no endurance. Why wasn't there any endurance? No root. And as I was studying this several weeks ago, I said, Lord, talk to me about this root. And immediately, this is the scripture he brought to my, brought to my mind. Let me, I won't make you turn there, but uh, for the sake of time, let me just read this to you. This is out of the book of Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17. As a matter of fact, do we have that in the Amplified Translation? Let's look at that together. Ephesians 3, 17. The Lord's talking to us about our root because our root is connected to our ability to endure. No root, no endurance. May Christ, through your faith, actually dwell, settle down, abide, make His permanent home in your hearts. Here we go. May you be what? Be what? Rooted. May you be rooted Deep in what? Love. Here is the key that will unlock the Word of God in your life. This is it right here, folks. What's our root supposed to be? Love. Our root is supposed to be love. Now, Jesus said, take heed how you hear. Pay attention to how you pay attention. If you hear me say that your root is supposed to be love and you think, yep, you're right. I have got to walk in love better. If you hear that and you think, oh, he's absolutely right. I flew off the handle. I need to be more patient. God, I'm sorry. Can you hear the condemnation in that? And that's exactly what Satan wants to do, even with the word of God, is to twist it and try to condemn you with it. That's not God. That's not him. That's not his word. That's not his nature. As a matter of fact, I don't think he's referring here to your walk of love at all. Your root is in how much... He loves you. Your root is in how much you are loved. Your root. What is the root? That's the foundation, man. That's deeper than foundation. That's as deep as you can get. That's, that's roots founded securely on love. That's your foundation. That's where you begin. Founded on love. Where do you begin in an understanding of God? How do you begin to understand Him? How do you begin to understand His ways? How do you even begin to have a grasp of it? You begin with this simple phrase, God is love. That's, you have to start there. You have to start there. You cannot start anywhere else. If you do, if you try to understand God through some other channel by some other way, uh, uh, th this relative died early, must have been God, and you try to understand God through that, whoa, knocking stuff over. You try to understand God through that, you, are, you, you started off. You want to know God? You want to understand Him? Ask yourself this question, what would love do? What would love say? Would love kill or would love give life? Very simple, folks. Do not be deceived. I'm going to preach to you for the next couple of minutes here. Do not be deceived. Quit being talked out of love. Quit this squirrely, goofy theology that has got people thinking that God is the taker of life. He is the giver of life. Why? Because that's what love does. Jesus said, Who among you, if your son asked you for bread, would give him a stone? 
If he asked you for a fish, you'd give him a snake. He said, none of you would do that. And if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more God, who is good, God, who is love. We've got to get out of this, and I believe that this doesn't even start to exist in this church, but it does in millions of other Christian lives, that God is putting stuff on you, and you've heard it before, to teach you something, to teach you something, to teach you something. Folks, in any other world, namely ours, that's child abuse. And God is not guilty of child abuse. That's not Him. How do I know? Because God is love. And that's my understanding of Him. Oh, well, we could never really understand God's love. We could never really grasp God's love. Really? Shall we keep reading? I'd like to keep reading. Let's keep reading. That you may be rooted deep in love, founded securely on love. Next verse. That you may have the power and be strong to apprehend and grasp with all the saints, God's devoted people, the experience of that love. What is the breadth and length and height and depth of it? That's love in 4D. That is high-definition love, man. Everywhere you look in front of you, behind you, around you, above you, beneath you, nothing, you see nothing but the love of God. And you know, I saw something in this, studying for this service that I'd never seen before, that one of the keys here is that he wants us to grasp that with all God's people. If all God's people would get over on this and grasp his love, we would be the most unstoppable group of people this world has ever seen. The most dangerous person on this planet is somebody who knows how much they're loved. Why? All the fear leaves. Takes all the fear right out of it. There'd be boldness. There'd be confidence. When you know and have an experience of that love, the breadth and length and height, the depth of it. Next verse. Look at this. Verse 19. That you may really come to know practically through experience for yourselves the love of Christ. That you may come to know it. We could never understand God's love. Well, there's your opinion and Bible opinion. I value this one more. Shoot, I value this one above my own opinion. I value this above my own experience. Somebody says, well, that wasn't my experience. Sorry, this is the word. I don't put your experience, I don't even put my experience above this. I hold on to this until it becomes my experience. That you may experience for yourselves the love of Christ, which far surpasses mere knowledge without experience. That's what a lot of people have. There's a difference between a pilot who saw 20 years of military combat, has spent the last 20 years in commercial aviation, flying every known aircraft, been in every imaginable emergency situation and, and lived to tell about it. There's a difference between that guy and a guy who's read a lot of books about airplanes. <laughs> There's a difference between a pilot with experience and a guy who's seen Top Gun like a hundred times. No, 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 listen, he saw that movie a lot. And other airplane movies, Flyboys, and I mean, all these airplane war movies, he's watched them and watched them and watched them, read a bunch of books, subscribes to aviation magazines. But let me ask you something. Who do you want flying your airplane? 
knowledge with experience or knowledge without experience? Because there's a difference. Knowledge with experience. The love of God. Stand up on your feet. As you do, allow me to finish what I started here. Look at Romans chapter 8. Pastor, this is, this is my second and final close, I believe. No promises, but Romans chapter 8. The Word and everything in it will never produce in your life what it's capable of producing until you know how much you're loved. It just can't. It won't. You'll hear scriptures you've heard a hundred times before, but if you don't hear them from love himself, they won't mean anything to you. What did Jesus say in Matthew 13 would, would come to rob somebody of the word who, who doesn't uh, have a root? He said two things would come and rob you of that. Do you remember what they were? I told you they'd be important to us. Persecution and what? Tribulation. Without a root of how much you're loved then persecution and tribulation will rob the word from you and its effectiveness in your life. In other words, you've got God who said how much he loves you and you've got man who said how much he hates you. Isn't that persecution? Isn't that tribulation? You've got God who said he's on your side and you've got man who says you're crazy for thinking that. And if you don't know how much you're loved, you'll listen to those two voices equally and you'll find yourself stumbling because of persecution. You'll hear things like Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What, shall, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? What is that? That's love. That is deep, profound, effective love. But when you've got people coming against you, and either throwing physical rocks at your head, as many of these men of the Bible endured. You know James who said, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, died a martyr. So they know some stuff about persecution. They write an ugly article in the paper about you or your ministry, and oh my God, I'm just being persecuted so much. Well, I mean, that is persecution, but some perspective might help you. <laughs> at least nobody tried to kill you. That's all I'm saying. If there's no revelation of love, then you'll hear this verse that you've heard who knows how many times, if God is for us, who can be against us? And it'll just sound like every other time you heard it. But when the light of love has come on, you'll hear this and you'll hear, if my God is for me, who can be against me? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is nobody. Listen to this. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? When he gave you Jesus, he gave you everything. If he gave you Jesus, he wouldn't withhold healing. He wouldn't withhold your deliverance. He wouldn't withhold your peace. Why? Because all that's in Jesus. When he gave you Jesus, he gave you everything. Notice this. I love it. Verse 33. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Now, in the New King James, it says, it is God who justifies. But if you look it up in the original language, he asked two questions. Who's going to bring against a charge against God's elect? Is it God who justifies? Again, rhetorical question. Paul's getting a little sassy in the book of Romans. Who is going to charge you with something? Is it God who justified you? Who has already declared you innocent? Now ask yourself this. 
Who's going to charge you? Persecution and tribulation has come to charge you. But listen to me, folks. I can't charge you. I can't condemn you. Why? I'm guilty of all the same junk you're guilty of. The only one who could have charged you with anything justified you instead. The only one. The only one that could have slammed the gavel down and said guilty as charged. Instead slammed it down and said innocent. Drop all the charges. You're free to go. That's what love did. Yes, another sassy question. Who is he who condemns? Is it Christ who died and furthermore is risen? Who is at the right hand of God who makes intercession for us? The only one who could have condemned you is the one who didn't do what you did. The only one who had a right to bring condemnation is the one who wasn't guilty of what you were guilty with. That's why when people persecute you and when people try to condemn you, you laugh it off and you say, my God is for me. Why? Because they don't have the right. They don't have the, the right that only belongs to God and only belongs to Jesus. Because He's the only one that never messed it up. He's the only one that's not guilty of it. They're guilty of it, and so are you. But instead of condemning you, He died for you. What? Are you kidding me? Instead of condemning you, He died for you. He rose again for you. And to top it all off, He now sits at the right hand of the Father talking to God about you all day long. Just say, oh, this one's, oh, you did an amazing job with this one. They are created and they look just like us. They sound just, I don't know, they, I know they didn't get it right all the time, but I know what's in there. I know what's going on in them. And that's what he sits at the right hand of the Father doing for you and for me all day, every day, for eternity. Now, the one who's doing that, is he also going to condemn you? No, because one or the other is a waste of time. If you try to do both, then you're wasting your time. You can't condemn and justify. And what's the very next statement? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? More questions. Shall tribulation? That's what Jesus said. He said, tribulation, if you're not rooted, will separate you. But if you're rooted, then you'll endure. And tribulation can't do it. What else? Distress can't do it. Persecution, he said. Famine, nakedness, peril, or sword. As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We're counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet, but, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. That's not the end of that statement. Don't you go around confessing, I'm more than a conqueror. 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 That is not a complete confession. What's a complete confession here? The rest of that verse. We are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. There's how you conquer. That's how you get over. I am more than a conqueror through His love for me. I am persuaded. I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm convinced of it, he says. This is what gets me through. This is what gets me over. This is what I've got my eyes fixed on. And I've got joy in the middle of persecution. 
persecution. I've got joy in the middle of trials. Why? Because I can't be separated from the love. Love himself has thrown his arms around me and refuses to let go. That's my translation of that scripture. Love has thrown his arms around you. And, they, and you try to pull away and he says, uh-uh. You're not going anywhere. You're not going anywhere. I grab my little boy sometimes and he's coming into that stage of life six months old. He's just squirmy. He's just like this all the time. I'm not letting go. Are you kidding me? I love him, man. And love refuses to let you go. There's the source of your joy and there's the source of your endurance. Hebrews chapter 12, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was what? Set before him, out in front of him. What did he do? He endured the cross. He endured the cross, despising the shame. Now set down at the right hand of the Father. He said, look at Jesus. There's your example of how to do that. What was that joy? What, 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 what could have been so joyful out in front of him that would have taken him up to the cross and instead of giving up there and calling it quits, he went through the cross. He went into death, hell, and the grave three days in hell and was born again, raised again. What, what possibly could have drawn him all the way through that? What kind of joy could that have been? Raise your hand because it was you. You were the joy that caused him to endure. His love for you, the thought of having you back, the, the thought of having you in the family again, that joy pulled him all the way through that. So with his eyes on you, he endured. With your eyes on him, you'll endure. Amen.